Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. I say with Ashley Ray, another episode, another episode of TV. I say with Ashley Ray. Another episode, another episode of TV I Say with Hello and welcome to TV I Say with Ashley Ray. I'm your host, Ashley Ray. I'm here with another episode, as the theme song goes. I am so excited for today's episode, as I am for every episode. I'm so excited all the time. But today we have Jack P. Moore, one of my favorite writers, a good friend. Jack P. Moore works on Dear White People, Love Life, one of my favorite people to talk to about television. So actually, I do the watch list at the top of the episode. I'm not going to spend too much time on the watch list because Jack and I talk about so many of these shows in detail. That you're going to hear plenty about a lot of them. It's a really great conversation. But before we get to that, let's get to the watch list. It is that part of the podcast where I talk about all the TV I am watching, which is too much TV. Starting things off with The Undoing. I finally started The Undoing. Oh my goodness. I really love it. It is filling the secession hole in my heart. It's so interesting. It's just creepy, rich white people doing creepy, rich white people stuff. I really recommend it. It's a pretty good watch on HBO. I have to say, Hugh Grant, Nicole Kidman, they're just doing great stuff over there. So I'm really enjoying that show. Can't wait to see where it goes. After that, I started Murder on Middle Beach, HBO Max murder mystery about a son who is trying to figure out who killed his mother and he is interviewing family members and it even in the first episode takes some really interesting twists where you think it seems very obvious but then there's a lot more to the story it's very personal and i like it so far i'm a fan of murder mysteries on the podcast and this one i think is is a really interesting take i saw the netflix documentary uh, family next door the american murder mystery about Chris, the guy who killed his family. And that one is so interesting because of the way it uses social media and Facebook footage. And this one is so interesting because now we're seeing the children of these people from famous kind of stories coming of age at a time when their lives are being watched. And I think this documentary looks at that in an interesting way so far. So sticking with it. After that, there was Industry, which is, I think I mentioned last episode, I started Industry. I still don't really know who the show is for. I don't know who I'm supposed to be rooting for. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I just don't know. It doesn't seem to make much sense a lot of the time, but I don't know. I It feels like people are just like, well, isn't this interesting because they're attractive people with money? 
So I guess that's industry. Bob's Burgers, uh, always talking Bob's Burgers. Of course, this last episode that was so good. I believe they're now at like 200 episodes and they did this really cool sort of mystery of like which kid did this horrible mistake and the way they layered it is just so great. Keep watching Bob's Burgers. I just am always happy when a show has been on for this long and is still just knocking it out of the park. I started Teacher, watched the first episode of that. You know, I've heard a lot of critics say that the best way to enjoy this show is to watch all the episodes at once, that that's really when the story starts to get going, which is how I felt watching the pilot. I was a little like, I see what you're trying to do here, but that's not necessarily grabbing me. The twist they provided wasn't good. I do want to see the full season. I might wait and just wait for all the episodes to come out before I I finish that one up. After that, we had the Grey's Anatomy season premiere. Grey's Anatomy is back. I've been watching Grey's Anatomy since I was in high school. If you know me, you know I've never given up on the show. So, of course, Grey's Anatomy is going to be a show we talk about on the pod probably all the time. This premiere was perfectly Grey's Anatomy, and by that I mean insane, and it made no sense. There's a big twist. There's no spoilers on the podcast, of course, but I think most people probably saw on Twitter that a very important character came back to visit, although that character coming back raises a lot of questions about sort of the aliveness of remaining characters on the show. So it it was just a very weird, perfectly Grey's Anatomy premiere. I do want to give a shout out to uh, Joe and Jackson. I usually hate those two characters. They were actually pretty cute. So I'm going to give them a shout out for this premiere. We had the last week tonight finale with John Oliver. It was a strong finale. Mostly Adam Driver was in it. And that bit, I think, is all over Twitter. But it was great. I also watched all of Auntie Donna's fun house on netflix i think i said all the the name right auntie donna's big time fun house you know whatever that is i would say that was a show to me that was loud after that i watched the unicorn on cbs the premiere was last week i really enjoy the unicorn as a family sitcom i just think it's really cute you got walton doing his thing It's a cute show, and the premiere just had some really fun, offbeat moments. There's, It's a great ensemble comedy. I think if you are sad, single parents is off the air. The Unicorn definitely fills that slot. I also started The Reagans, the Ronald Reagan Showtime documentary. It's pretty good so far. I mean, you know, I hate Ronald Reagan, and uh, Jack and I talk about this. But it's really interesting, sort of the myth building, and to sort of see the hypocrisies on display. So check it out. Excited to see where it goes. So far, it's better than the Comedy Store documentary. For throwbacks in TV, I started Maniac on Netflix. Maniac, the one with Jonah Hill that came out forever ago. I don't know. I just was out of things to watch. So I threw it on. I'm only on episode two, but I like it so far. I see, you know, why it was a limited series that maybe didn't get as much acclaim as it deserved with given the names involved. Uh, It's a little slow to build, but I am excited to see where it goes, like all the TV I watch. After that, there was Life After Lockup, Love After Lockup, and 90 Day Fiance. Surprisingly, Jack and I talk about all of these shows, too, so I'm not going to go too deep into them. But my pile of trash TV, I hold it dear, did not let me down this past week. Goodness. 
you know, there's a new season of like Love After Lockup. I don't even think it matters at this point. I'm pretty sure at this point, WeTV is just reassembling the same footage of these couples and just repackaging it as Life After Lockup and Love After Lockup and just like regurgitating it into my mouth. And I'm eating it all up. So one episode of that show is like an hour. They have like an hour of time in a person's life. Like they just stretch out every little thing. It's really wild. But I like trash. I like trash most of the time. That is it for the watch list. Next up is our clip of the week. My favorite clips in TV this week. Yeah, I said all of that about loving trash, which, yeah, I loved. I, I do. But my clip of the week is from The Undoing. There's this wonderful character, Haley Fitzgerald, played by this wonderful actress, Noma Dumezweni. And she's so good in The Undoing. I absolutely love everything that she is doing in that role. And so that is our clip of the week is this character from The Undoing. Are you making a joke? I don't make jokes. I'm not funny. What a queen. She does not make jokes. She is not funny. She says that line twice in that episode. Just a stellar delivery, stellar character. Watch The Undoing for her performance. Haley Fitzgerald, Noma Dumezwini as Haley Fitzgerald. That is our clip of the week. Next up, our, our spoiler bitch disclaimer. This interview with Jack, we talk about so many TV shows. <laughs> Jack and I love TV so much. We talk about so much. Dear white people, our cartoon president. Uh, no spoilers, though. I think we both do a very good job of keeping things spoiler free. So enjoy the conversation TV with me and Jack Moore. Welcome to the podcast. It's TV I Say with Ashley Ray. Today, I'm so excited to have Jack Moore on the podcast. Jack, you're one of my favorite people. One of my, we know each other mostly through the internet. You work on Dear White People, Love Life, a ton of amazing shows. You're, you're just a fantastic writer, so helpful to young writers coming up in the scene. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You're one of my favorite people. So oh, my you. God. I just, I always love talking about TV with you. Your just TV opinions are always so good, I feel like. Oh, well, no pressure, but I'll try to bring some good opinions. <laughs> Perfect TV good. opinions is what I'm expecting today. Yes, good. Yeah, so I want to start with Dear White People. The final season is coming up on Netflix, right? Yeah, we are in the process of producing the fourth season, the fourth and final season. And it's really good. I'm really proud of it. It's the first one that I show ran with Justin Simeon. I was previously a producing writer, but got the got the promotion this year, which was nice. And as you know, we have such a great staff and obviously our cast is so talented. And I really think it's a show that tries to not be a prisoner of the moment, but kind of reflect, be in conversation with the political moment. I mean, it's a show about young activists. So it's yeah. hard to uh, make it kind of in conversation with the moment. And I think this season will be more of that, I think. Hopefully, hopefully people like it. <laughs> yeah. How was it sort of navigating that as showrunner during an election year? I would imagine when you were in the writer's room, you didn't know how the election would play out. Did you feel pressure to kind of reflect on that? How did you want to navigate that? I think our show has been, we definitely didn't know how it would play out. And <laughs> we started the writer's room about a year ago today, like basically today, like mid-November of last year was season four writer's room started. And then covid forced us to not go into production when we were originally supposed to in the spring. So we wrote it kind of very free. I mean, it was during the primaries. So the biggest changes were there were like a lot of Pete Buttigieg jokes that ended up on the cutting room floor because that's when we were uh, writing it. 
<laughs> we were like, and oh, I was wait. like, remember that guy? Who is he? Yeah, exactly. We're like, none of this will matter in a while. But yeah, I mean, it's tough. Season one of the show wrapped on the night Donald Trump was elected. So yeah, that was our last day of filming season one. And so, and I feel like season two in particular was very directly about sort of the alt-right response that the show had received. Justin and I had both gotten tons of hate and stuff. Justin, because he created the show, and me just because I was visible on Twitter and writing about politics for GQ at the time, too. After season one, we faced a lot of backlash from people. There's like a cancel Netflix campaign that like Reddit, the Donald drove. And part of it was because on election, I was writing about politics during the election for GQ. And during on election night, I had tweeted fuck white people with a screenshot of the exit poll data that basically showed that like white men and women were the only two groups to go predominantly for Trump. Yeah. And that very quickly, one, I stand by that tweet. But <laughs> yeah, that and quickly, I, it's proved itself to still be pertinent this time around. Absolutely. But it got taken out of context, even though I kind of stand by that tweet out of context, too. Yeah. But it got taken out of context. The screenshot was removed. And suddenly it was this like proof that Dear White People was like anti-white people. And yeah, and so season two was a lot about that. So it was a lot of like alt-right kind of stuff. So, yeah, and then season three was obviously about something slightly different with, like, sexual assault on campus. So season four, you know, we really wanted to explore, kind of dive deeper into the divisions that we sometimes feel on our own side, which is kind of where the show started in a lot of ways with Sam and Coco. But particularly going into, you know, Sam's a senior now. She's kind of the establishment on campus in some ways. And what happens when you're the establishment is yeah. eventually there are people coming for you who don't think you go far enough. So, Oh, that's really exciting. I kind of, I'm really excited to kind of see Sam in the hot seat. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a teaser for what season four is about. That's, that's really cool. I feel like there was sort of critically a lot of people saying during the Trump administration, this difficulty in writing political television, especially with humor, because it was so hard to make fun of Trump or to just even talk about politics, because how could you rival the news? But I feel like you like what you said is, is true. Dear white people never really had that problem. It always was, I think, very good at reflecting the conversation, especially for the sort of younger generation it was representing. So now as we like, move into this post-Trump world. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I can't believe it's happening. I'm like, what do you kind of see shifting for TV? What are you sort of excited to write about? Or how do you think TV is going to look under a Biden presidency? Oh, man. I mean, my biggest excitement is that I think this is like so low on the list of reasons to be excited. Trump is no longer president. Yeah. But, or will will shortly no longer be president. But I'm really excited for there to be a little bit more nuance in political discussion. Again, granted, that's optimistic, to say the least. And certainly when Twitter has become our primary means of communicating about politics, that's a nuanced destruction machine. So you end up with, I feel like I often find myself (laughs) telling people, like, it's really interesting because we were exploring issues as a culture that really we should have been exploring for the last 200 years or whatever. I mean, we're, but we're finally having those tough conversations, and that's really exciting. But the problem is, these are really difficult, nuanced conversations, and we are having these conversations through a medium that is anti-nuance. Yeah. And so, like, if ever there were a time that we should be writing like twelve-page letters to each other, you know, weighing everything and all that, it, like now would be the time. But yeah. unfortunately, 
you know, nobody's writing, my dearest Ashley. Yeah. I, uh, Here's what I meant when I said this. No, yeah. it's just 280 characters. And if people don't understand, it's just like, oh, you, um, yeah, I have certainly dealt with that in my time. Yes, exactly. I know you have. Yeah. But I think as a result, it takes us back potentially, hopefully, to a time where politics wasn't just like, there is such a clear, obvious bad guy. Yeah. I mean, it's like the Lincoln Project thing where it's like, I don't agree with anything those people believe in for the most part, except for the fact that we both don't like Donald Trump. And it's like, well, sure, but that's like the bare minimum. Yeah. That's like, no, I'm excited to be able to have conversations and for there to be political television and things that explore more complicated issues of social justice. And not because... I think all TV needs to be political or something like that, or, you know, it's this leftist Hollywood agenda or something. Yeah. But I think all good art is about something. And I think, unfortunately, we've ended up in this place recently where a lot of like anti-Trump art feels a little bit toothless to me because it's it's like a self-evident thing. Like, yes, I agree fascism is bad. Yeah. But like, Or I agree Trump says silly things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. Certainly when you get into like the attempts of parody of Trump, it's like a disaster. I don't think there's been almost any success. I mean, there's been a couple of them. Yeah. Better, you know, but... our cartoon president on Showtime, I thought, did a really good job. I was just going to say, I think that was that was probably the high watermark. Yeah. And, you know, they really focused on just kind of the politics of it and the ridiculousness of it more so than him is just a, a ridiculous figure. Like, in fact, at some point he like plays the straight man in our cartoon president, which I really like. Yeah, and I actually think that's one of the things that our cartoon president does really well is it actually is much more about the insanity around him. Yeah. It's like Jared Kushner is a piece of shit. Yeah. I'm like, it's all these other things that are slightly more, it's just not first thought where I think a lot of Trump stuff is very like, yes, he is that. Yes, he's ridiculous. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't know, I think with Biden, people, like you said, they're going to kind of have to push themselves more to go, what are we making fun of when it comes to this guy? Is it he's our dopey uncle? Or how do you kind of push that now that he's no longer vice president, but in more of a role where he has to be held accountable? Yeah, it's going to be interesting, because I do think that there's this, not to be too serious about it, but I do think that there's a reckoning that's sort of happening in the Democratic Party, which is always, there's always a reckoning in the Democratic Party. It's impossible. Democrats lose when they win all the time. Yeah. But those phone calls that were leaked of the, the conference call of the caucus where they were moderate members were blaming AOC and company for costing them elections. And then AOC, I think kind of rightfully is like, well, are you guys running elections in the 21st century? Yeah. Are you still acting like, but I think those kind of conversations are actually, that's where the political landscape seems to be moving for me is like a generation of people questioning the very like foundations of capitalism. And I think that is really exciting. Even if whatever side you're on in those things, I know which side I'm on, <laughs> uh, which is that capitalism is a monster and is the worst. Yeah. And tear but, it all down um, and let's rebuild everything from scratch. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I do think that those are really exciting, big picture conversations that, that mean more than just sort of like the basic patriotism and shit that sometimes like, I love the West Wing. I have a what's next tattoo on my arm. I love it. But I think sometimes that show was like sort of like a masturbating on the yeah. American exceptionalism. Yeah. 
and and the beauty of American politics. And those people aren't like that. They don't respect any of that stuff. <laughs> I think having more complicated conversations about this stuff is always a good thing. And I think that's why I love working on Dear White People and I love working with Justin Simeon because even when he makes things that people don't always love, and I think he makes more things that people love than, than don't, they're always complicated and fucked up and like saying things and trying to say things. And I would always rather go to bat trying to say something, trying to make something about something than like, there's so much stuff that just feels like it's about nothing. Yeah. Even stuff that's like about politics is often like really not saying anything. Not saying anything at all. It's it's just so empty. Yeah. And I don't know, I feel like under Trump over the last four years, there's been this rush of networks and just people rushing to fill any void with content that has representation, people of color, even if it isn't necessarily saying anything that is good or even politically important. And I think part of that has been good. There's been a lot that that was useless, but I think a lot of good kind of came out of it too. But I also think that is one of the reasons maybe why, why we got Quibi, because there was this idea that people want this content. There's a need for this content. Like, and then in the end, what kind of happened is a lot of creators of color got screwed over. And now I think there's this fear of like, oh no, under Biden, like they're not going to try to care about diversity anymore. I mean, I think that is always a risk. I think the idea that people can kind of go back to sleep on these issues is always possible. You know, I think like black people deserve just as much a right to be mediocre at making art as white people do. And so some of those shows that were like, black led or black created that weren't setting the world on fire that weren't incredible television great like how many bad or mediocre white shows are there on tv like it's totally i'm not gonna name any shows but i think it's totally okay (laughs) that there are shows that are not atlanta or whatever yeah every show doesn't need to achieve that you know and it's really about giving black writers and showrunners the same opportunity Do you feel as though, you know, obviously Quibi got shut down. Are you kind of worried that there will be less platforms or do you? No, I think there will always be a new dumb billionaire who wants to spend money on stuff. Like Quibi was such a failure to launch from the beginning. Like from the very jump, it was a solution in search of a problem. Like nobody who watches TV watches TV that way. Like. The idea that you couldn't watch it on your TV if you wanted to is like the single most mind-bendingly dumb idea yeah. I've ever I, heard. I downloaded the app for one day. I opened it, and when I saw I couldn't connect it to my Chromecast, I just immediately deleted it, never looked at it again, and was just like, Same. someday maybe someone will take those Reno 911 episodes and make them available to me. <laughs> exactly. Well, I know of a lot of shows that are being recut right now into feature films or into a lot of the documentary content there is being yeah. redone or repackaged. and. I think the truth is like, look, I'm all for people getting their money. So like everybody who got paid, great. I think they had a lot of talent there that I really respect. But I also think that like, it was always a scam in a lot of ways. It kind of avoided unions at all costs. Like part of its whole conception and length and stuff was so that it would fall outside of negotiated minimums. And then they wouldn't use unions in a lot of cases. You have people writing basically a feature film and then cutting it into 10 episodes or whatever. But, you know, they're not getting paid a feature film rate for that. Right. You know? And so 
or not everybody was. I'm sure there were certain people with giant names where they wanted to make a splash or whatever, but I worked at BuzzFeed many years ago. And BuzzFeed, I think, is, look, a terrible place full of a lot of people. I, but I worked with a lot of brilliant people there, like really smart, really wonderful people. And I think there are still people at BuzzFeed who are specifically in the news division who are doing really wonderful, like, investigative journalism. But, like, working at a tech company like that, and it was a tech company more than it was a publisher initially. And I was like, I was employee 28 or something. Yeah. And hearing Jonah Peretti, Chelsea's brother, who is the founder of BuzzFeed, hearing him talk about what the internet was going to look like two years in the future. This was like 2011. Hearing him talk about what the internet was going to look like two years in the future and then seeing everything he said come true. There are certain tech companies where you have somebody, and again, I don't like what the internet became partially due to BuzzFeed. Yeah. But like when you have somebody who sees it for real and actually like Jonah for all of, and I know people have issues with him and there's unionization stuff. Jonah was a genius and like truly did see where things were going before other people saw where they were going. Quibi is the exact opposite of that. Yeah. Quibi was like somebody being like, this is the future. And anybody who cared about television or content of any kind could see that that was not true. Like it just, there's nobody out there who was like, if only I could watch, those people are watching yeah. YouTube. Which, by the way, YouTube, there's content now on YouTube that is equal to a lot of stuff that is televised. Yeah, exactly. But and and it's wrong. <laughs> like tried to dive into that with YouTube Red and do original programming and they couldn't even pull it off. And I would no. think if people think you if like YouTube can't pull off original shows, how do you think Quibi, this app where it's like, oh, what I've always wanted to watch it vertically? I, and, only, and you know what? I, what's funny is I've actually watched on Snapchat. I've watched some vertical shows. I've watched some of their reality vertical shows. Yeah, they have a show called Own Slump that I watch occasionally. It's like a dating show. Yeah, I've heard a, about it. They tell them each that they're going to swap before they decide if they want to go on a second date. They get to look through each other's phones, and it's a really good like early MTV, not early MTV, but like early 2000s MTV style show. Yeah. It's kind of everything Quibi said it wanted to be. It's like seven minute episodes. I watch it vertically. Yeah. It's great. Love it. But the truth is, I don't watch it that often. (laughs) If I, somebody who has engaged with content like that, which is not super the norm, is like, I don't really need this. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Who, never who's makes. your audience? And at the end of the day, it just seems like a lot of the creators who got kind of screwed over were women and people of color and queer creators. And they were the ones who took a chance on shows about drag queens and stuff. And it's just like, <sighs> come on. Also that this is always how Hollywood works is that a new network or something comes in and it's built on the backs of black people and women and like those are the audiences that's what fox did that's what so many cable networks have done since and then as soon as they get numbers that they like they pivot to being for white people and it's a gross thing that repeats itself over and over again and quibi was the same thing they were just bad at doing that like they couldn't even do that (laughs) they couldn't get any part of it going and it's like they brought in such big names and it just how do you fumble that I mean, truly, they had stuff that if it was on other networks, I probably would have watched. Yeah. Or at least checked out. Like, look, I don't love Chance the Rapper, but I probably would have watched a couple episodes of Punk if it was, like, on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, I would have watched him punking, like, Justin Bieber or something. That's that's a good time. Yeah. I watch a lot of trash TV. I'm open. 
I am kind of curious your thoughts on Facebook Watch, which I'm honestly, yeah, yeah, you did uh, Queen America, right? Mm-hmm. Which I feel like surprisingly, Facebook Watch shows get wonderful critical acclaim and it's very silent and it just has been existing and people don't even know that these Facebook watch shows are still coming out. Yes. It's as though it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, it's because at the end of the day for a lot of these places, they just aren't like Facebook's never going to be a TV company. And it was just another thing to do. And I think they make, I like queen America. I like some of the other shows that they've done. I think Sorry for Your Loss was like incredible. Yeah, Sorry TV. for Your Loss was amazing. I watched Queen America because Catherine Zeta-Jones was one of my early crushes. So Look, Queen America for its flaws has Catherine Zeta-Jones being full Catherine Zeta-Jones. Well, and it, she, by yeah. the way, is a delight. Yeah. She is everything that you'd want her to be. The first time I met her, she very quickly started talking about which actresses we should cast because they have similar titties to her to cast as her sister because they had similar tits and like those her words she's a queen to me i oh my god that like is, makes my childhood gay me smile to hear that oh my god and the best in such that it's not like oh she's so nice she's just so Catherine zeta joe <laughs> she's exactly what you would want her to be but yeah so facebook watches is an odd thing because i do think they make good stuff. I think they're really smart people over there. But when you have these tech companies trying to get into TV, like I think Amazon's actually the only one that is not primarily a television company that has sort of found success by, you know, their TV stuff is real. Like that's real stuff that people pay attention to in a real way. And I think it's because they've invested in it uh, accordingly. And they've uh, not just invested in the content, but they've invested in pushing it as, you know, the Facebook watch, when you wanted to like watch a thing on it you had to download the facebook app yeah on your apple tv or whatever and then when you clicked on it it would take you to like videos your friends shared first and you have to like navigate through to find it whereas like if you sign up for amazon prime and you go to the prime video app it's just like this is for watching tv that's yeah. our movie it's like do you want that's the free stuff do you want to pay for some stuff here's a switch yeah, it's it's so apple. i think i think it's why apple is finding success even you know, they haven't had like a real breakthrough show, although Mythic Quest is a show I really yeah. love. And Ted Lasso is Okay, a show I was going to say is... Ted Lasso is my breakout hit, my personal. So, Ted Lasso is my favorite show of the year. I Me love too. that show it's so much. so good. I cried. I gasped. I felt like I grabbed my chest yeah. in just like delight so much because the idea that it's a show at the end of the day that's like just about inherent goodness and that being like, a fun thing to spend time with. Yeah. And that the comic game being that nobody can believe he could possibly be just like a nice just man. A nice guy. <laughs> so lovely. I just, I couldn't love that show. Yeah. More. And you're just constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're just like, oh, no, this is like when he breaks and oh, this is going to be what pushes him over. And it's just like, nope. Just no, and even when he loses his temper, he's like a three dimensional character. Yeah. He really, like, he makes mistakes, he loses his temper, but he's also like, there's just a core decency. It's like a character that like Jimmy Stewart would have played 50 years ago. Yeah. And Nakus is doing such good work. You know, it reminds me a lot of Rockmeyer. Yeah. Because they obviously both started a sort of viral sports mix yeah. that these two actors were doing. And I think Brockmeyer is a really good show, actually, yeah. and like brought pathos to that character. But Brockmeyer also seemed like a show that would work in a way that Ted Lasso as a character didn't seem like it would work to me. Yeah. I was like, well, what's the conflict with that? With Brockmeyer, it's like, well, he's an alcoholic. He's yeah, a disaster. Yeah, so sad. Yeah. 
Yeah. Whereas like with Ted Lasso, the fact that they made his decency part of that was the conflict was that he's just like a nice guy and he's trying to do right by the world. And he's, I don't know. I love that show so much. And I, I'm very jealous of uh, Leanne Bowen, one of our brighter producers on Dear White People, her two shows that she bounces between her, us and Ted Lasso. What a, what a brilliant just, like, resume. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. I keep saying, like, Leanne Bowen has the best resume, like, the best credits of the last yeah. couple years. She's incredible. That's another question I wanted to ask. What other shows are you watching right now that you're excited about? Oh, man. Well, Ted Lasso I watched during quarantine and, and like, blew through. I've actually watched it twice now. I just yeah. I, It brings me such joy. Anytime I get to that, I, I just put it on and I'm like, thank you. I know. It's great. Mythic Quest, I also watched and was also delighted by. I really like it started a little rough for me, but then it very quickly became like the kind of hangout sitcom that I wish they were making like 24 episodes of. Yeah, it has more of the rhythms of something like The Office than it does like a 10 episode something. I thought I would have enjoyed it as like a NBC Thursday night sitcom that I would have like watched back in the day. A hundred percent. Really enjoyable, though. I love so my favorite show right now is a show called Staff Let's Flats. Have you heard of the show or no. watched the show? So it's on HBO Max. It's S T I just because it's like it's a crazy title. Yeah, I, and especially in America. So it's S T A T H Staff. That's the main character's name. And then it's Let's L E T S as in like leases. And then Flats is in apartments. And so it's about a guy named Staff who's like a real estate broker in London oh. leasing apartments. But it's the funniest show I've seen in forever. It's the guy who played the rat face guy on Fleabag. Oh, yeah. So it's his show. His real-life sister is the woman on What We Do in the Shadows, and she plays his sister on the show, Death Let's Flats. It won the BAFTA this year. There are two seasons, I believe, that are currently on HBO Max, and it made me cry laugh so many times. Wow. I, I'm impressed by any guest who comes on the podcast and introduces me to something new. Oh, actually, you're going to love it. It's insanely funny. It's, I'm and so it's a excited. show that's just comedy. Like, it's so truly a delight. Yeah, it's no, such a delight. Natasha, I can never say her last name, Natasha Dimitrio. She's so yeah. funny. I love her in What We Do in the Shadows. This oh, last season of What We Do in the Shadows was like all-star. Incredible. Just, and she was so good at it. And she's so funny on this show as his sister. She wants to be a musician. She's very bad. The whole thing is like, it's one of those British shows. It's like, these people are kind of idiots. For whatever reason, it's hilarious in like a much deeper, less cringe way than a lot of those shows. It's just, I can't even speak to how much joy it brings. So that's the show that like I would most recommend. And then I'm watching a lot of like trash. I'm watching Married at First Sight, which I had never watched, but I've watched that oh. two seasons and I have strong opinions. <laughs> Everyone keeps telling me I have to start that next after Life After Lockup, oh. Love After Lockup and 90 Day Fiance. They're like, you have to do Married at First Sight. Married at First Sight is incredible, specifically because there's like this veneer of like, this is science somehow like they talk, keep talking about how it's like an experiment yeah i, I like these, that about uh, love is blind how they tried to be like oh yes. this is oh very similar beats to love is blind in fact i'm pretty sure love is blind because i work for netflix i can say this we can all see that their reality tv model is to do versions of other yeah. reality shows and i love it because i love netflix reality tv Give me all of the Selling Sunset that you can give me. Please. I love Selling Sunset. I My dream is to interview 
any woman, but it was particularly oh uh, Christine. Christine is an all-time reality villain. Yeah, she's I love her perfect. so much. And she just leans into it. She doesn't let it bother her. Like, that's yeah, the kind of women we need again. Yes, exactly. And so, but Marion First Sight's great because they have, like, this panel of experts that keeps talking about this as though it's, like, sane in any way. But it's always very fun. I would highly recommend starting with seasons eight and nine. Okay. I feel like that's when the show found its footing. They went from three couples a season to four. And it became a little bit more... They, like, figured out the reality TV part. Yeah. It was like, oh, these four couples are going to go on a vacation together now. And it's like, yes, give me all of this. The guys are going to hang out with each other. The girls are going to hang each other. And they're going to compare notes about how their relationships are going. Okay, I love things like that. That, yeah. Okay, I'm going to waste my entire weekend now and married at first sight. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It tends to be that the black couples are sweet and understanding and the white couples are insane. Yeah. And that's a fun I always love that in reality shows. And I feel like that's, I don't know, that's one of the things I like about 90 Day Fiance is that there's no black people in 90 Day Fiance because I feel like we're just like, I'm not bothering with the craziness of this like K1 visa, possible catfish. You know, I'm always happy, honestly, with the lack of diversity in reality television. It's okay with me. (laughs) Well, I have gotten into Before the 90 Days, and there are some black people on Before the 90 Days. There are. Caesar is a real oh uh, Caesar yeah. Although you know what I will say is Ninety Day Fiance. What I find really fascinating about that show is that I have a very hard time watching any of anything from that that empire, that cinematic universe. Yeah, the the universe of Ninety Day. Yeah. Yeah. I have a hard time watching any of it because I feel bad for so many people on both sides. Where I'm just like, oh, you poor catfish, or oh, you poor very pretty woman in moscow who just wants a life like it's so depressing but i will say i do love that then in the reunion shows they all just reveal themselves to be reality tv characters who want to shit on each other yeah and like that like you'll have someone like caesar who's like a mess and like a fool and he'll just be a fool for everybody and be a mess and then come the reunion show he's a fool and a mess and people are making fun of him but as soon as it's someone else's turn He's like, that would not be okay with me. Yeah. Caesar. And you're just like, Caesar, you hypocrite. And he's just like, how dare you, like, not ask to, like, ask him to, like, buy you this. And it's like, Caesar, you sent that woman $15,000 and you never met her. Yes, she doesn't exist, I don't think. And you just lose any sympathy. And then you realize all of these people put themselves in this situation and it's absolutely okay to be entertained. A hundred percent. There was one that I was watching this during quarantine that was a woman whose son, who seemed to be like a very flamboyantly gay son, very much disagreed with her being on the show. During the reunion, he starts laughing at her as she's crying. (laughs) And it was like... Lisa, you're talking about Lisa and her son, who's just like, my mother's an idiot. There was another Lisa. Oh, it's a different Lisa. It's a different Lisa. She was the one who tried to make like wine in her toilet because she was like in Qatar. Yeah, as you do. Yeah. And she, but him just like gleefully laughing and then her being like, why can you do this to me? And he like, why don't you come pick up your dog? Like, it was just, I love, <laughs> I love seeing the walls of reality TV slowly break yeah. around people. So those are kind of the things I'm, I'm watching right now. I don't, I don't feel like there's been a great highfalutin show in a while. I'll probably watch yeah. a teacher or Queen's Gambit. That's the big one. Oh, Queen's Gambit. You know what? I did start Queen's Gambit. Really like it. I Obviously loved it. Yeah. 
I haven't finished it, but it is one of those things where it's like, wow, Scott Frank always writes great things. Yeah. And I mean, you cool. give me a story about a, a little girl doing drugs. I'm in. Come on. Oh, my God. All the drugs she does, too. Yeah. It, like, I really was like, what are these pills? And can I get some? Right. <laughs> it's going to make quarantine go quarantine. way faster. Yeah. <laughs> A hundred percent. I'm trying to play chess on the ceiling, on the floor, on the walls. Come on. Yeah, she does limit herself sometimes to the ceiling. Like at one point when she rips the bed sheet, the thing above her head, it's like, you know, you could look somewhere else. Yeah, like I don't if you just need a flat surface girl, I don't know. Yeah, that that seemed like a very expensive bed frame. I always wanted one with a canopy and she just didn't really seem to care. Very privileged in that, but very privileged for an orphan. But (laughs) for an orphan, but I have not finished it yet, but I love it. But it's one that I love enough that I'm trying to like slowly enjoy because otherwise I'll just, I mean, Ted Lasso I watched in like an afternoon. I finished Ted Lasso in a day. I finished the Queen's Gambit in a day and I'm full of regret and I wish I could still enjoy them. I know. I know. I, there's too much TV, but sometimes I'm like, Oh, I wish it was just a little more slowly delivered because when you do have a show, that's why I think succession blew up in the way it did. Yeah. Was because it is so delicious <laughs> and it's so good, but it is weekly still. Yeah, and there's something to having to wait to really enjoy. I feel like I it all stuck with me much more and having a week to talk about Jerry yeah. and Roman and like whatever and your, like, your theories and the undoing. Yeah. I just started and that has kind of been my process with it. It's like it's a really just pleasant kind of murder mystery that's unraveling. And Nicole Kidman is so good in it Ooh, i'm gonna watch that one i did what's funny is i do think with hbo i give so much more of a chance with things because i'm like well but it's so fun to watch every sunday night i mean yeah. see the vow see the outsider like these things that are like this should be great this seems great and then later you're like did anything happen yeah like why did how did i watch that for like nine hours and what yeah. okay cool. yeah yeah but uh, when it's good, when the weight is good, it's really good. Yeah. And the undoing is just, I don't I kind of like it more than Big Little Lies, honestly. It's, wow. That's yeah. exciting. I mean, are you saying Big Little Lies season one or Big Little Lies totally? Season, season one. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Big Little Lies season two, I would. Yeah, like that's, okay, yeah. I, that's just like an asterisk forever yeah, but exist, really. if you want to see just nicole kidman being the most nicole kidman and then you of course have like hugh grant just being yeah. the weirdest that i've ever seen him and it's so fascinating like i it's just to me it's like filling the whole secession left because it's just like miserable rich white people but i'm kind of like rooting for their destruction Oh, I'm so into that. I'm so yeah. into that. Speaking of miserable white people and rooting for their destruction, I watched the first two episodes of Showtime's Reagan documentary. Oh, yeah. And I hate Ronald Reagan so very much as a queer person. As Ronald Reagan, not a friend of the pod. Yes, not a friend of the pod. You yeah. may think, of, but you know who would be a friend of the pod? Ron Reagan, his son, who spends most of the first episode roasting the fuck out of his father. Oh my God, um, I'm watching this today. <laughs> it's so great. He's like, at one point, his son is like, you know, my dad was a storyteller. And so I'm thinking like, oh man, he's going to go into like, what a great storyteller is. And he goes, and most, and then he's like, you know, there was a story he told about how his dad was a drunk and how when he was 11, he found his dad drunk right inside the doorway and he picked him up and he carried him up the stairs and he put him into bed. And I always heard this story and then he's like, but then later I went to that house. There was no way he was carrying him up the stairs. He made this up. Like, and it was just like, yes, Ron Reagan, roast your dead father. 
I've been really looking forward to this. I just, I feel like the myth of Ronald Reagan in this country is so wild. And that is what comes across. And it's not a hit piece documentary, which I would love a hit piece documentary on Ronald Reagan. They definitely have people who are Reaganites and stuff on there. But what becomes very clear is what a myth he is and like what a myth he always was and what a myth he himself was like attempting to create. Even just down to the fact that like they never really had money and and like they yeah. had this crazy house in the Palisades because GE built it for him when he was like a spokesperson for them. Like it's just really uh it's very fascinating. So far, yeah. I, I like the first two a lot. So. And I think I don't know as Trump exits the office, I think there's going to be this dangerous kind of lure on the part of the media to soften him and to George Bushify yeah to George Bushify him and to start creating that myth of oh he was just a man of the people and so hopefully maybe this Reagan documentary can give us a guide in how we avoid that how we stop that myth building yeah I hope so I think it will be slightly harder for Trump (laughs) I hope I I'm very excited for a TV future without him especially when it comes to things like SNL and yeah I just I feel like that show is is at its worst when it's Alec Baldwin playing Trump. God say, I hope the cast feels free. I hope they're just like, oh, I hope Alec so too. Week. I hope they're just like, wait off our shoulders. So too. And look, I love Jim Carrey. We all grew up with Jim Carrey, but let's not make the same mistake yeah. for the next four years. Like if they, if they wanted to bring Sue Dacus back, he did such a great Biden for so long. Love his Biden. Just, great. yeah, I, I don't think we need Jim Carrey doing this anymore. Yeah, because Jim Carrey's version of him I don't get the comic game Jim Carrey's playing. It feels yeah. like he's just doing the mask or something. Yeah, or I don't know. He seems like some character who's slowly just like falling apart. Like I just Im- imagine him like pulling his eye out and there's just like goo. <laughs> there's right. no like, Now you're kind of selling me on it. Now I'm yeah. like, I'd, wa- I'd watch that. Just Jim Carrey playing a dying, rotting Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's just like weird for weird's sake. It's like an adult swim thing that shows yeah. up underpaid programming. <laughs> Yeah, I would love that. Well, that was all the questions I had. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Anything you're excited about? I don't think Dear White People has a start date or a we launch do date. Not have a, we don't have a launch date. We still have to shoot it in the age of COVID, yeah. which is challenging. But I guess that's probably it. I'm a huge fan of yours, as you know. I just want to tell your audience that. And I'm excited to see what you do next. I'm excited to, to see where you go next. Uh, well, I have loved this conversation. It makes me so excited to just watch all of this TV. I can't you you actually brought me a new TV show. That is the greatest oh, yeah. gift anyone who is a guest. I expect texts about I, that. Yeah, story. I'm about to I'm literally just ending this and I'm gonna binge this show because I have I have nothing to watch. I watched it's everything. So good. It, you'll love it. I'm so excited. That is the best gift anyone can give me when they come on the podcast. So happy to bring something. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Have a good one. Too. Hi. Ah, that was that was so wonderful. Goodness, what what a great conversation with Jack P. Moore, great friend of the podcast. Ah, wow, this was quite an episode. Goodness, you have so much TV to watch. I, I shouldn't really assign you very much homework, but. As just a little get ready for future episodes, I'm going to tell you to watch P-Valley on Stars. Get ready with some P-Valley episodes. And check out 90 Day Fiance. Just 90 Day Fiance Season 8 is coming up. And as someone who loves the show, I just want you to know I have some very, very exciting, special, special things planned for the 90 Day Fiance Season 8 premiere on the podcast. You're not going to want to miss it. 
So make sure you're following, subscribed, support our Patreon, patreon.com slash TVISAPod. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TVISAPod, especially on Twitter. Follow me on at TVISAPod since I am still suspended. But that is what it is. Support the podcast, rate and review, give us five stars. We absolutely love you. I love you. I'm so excited to watch TV with you. And I will be back with another episode. The TV I Say theme song was made by Rafia Santana. And our artwork was created by Chastity Hyman. TV I Say with Ashley Ray. Another episode, another episode of TV I Say. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet with faster speeds rolling out every day and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.